my intention last week or this week as I began the study was to head back to Hebrews and after talking about the danger of spiritual immaturity and um, I just I couldn't get away from this from this text here in in first Timothy four and um, so we're gonna go we're gonna go back to that uh, this morning and, and then next week we'll move on to um, back on the Hebrews chapter chapter five verse eleven through fourteen and um, I, I think you'll see in ways how uh, hopefully you'll see in, in ways how this this contributes or or can contribute to the lack of spiritual maturity um, in, in your life. And, and the reality is that uh, if the preaching is weak in a church, and when I mean preaching, I don't mean if it's exciting and charismatic and all that. I, I mean, is it biblical? Is it coming from the text of Scripture? If that is weak, then our church is going to be weak. Um and so last week, as we examined First uh, Timothy four, uh, thirteen through sixteen, and primarily we were in verse thirteen. We didn't go beyond that. Um, I wanted to give you a picture of the twofold problem that I that I believe contributes to spiritual immaturity, and, and that is we saw the primary role of the pastor uh, of, of how that contributes, but also, and as we'll look again, that that there's a uh, there's a responsibility that you have. As a child of God, there is a responsibility that you have, and that is can be summed up in Acts 17, as we'll look at in a little while, to receive the word, give it an open hearing, and then go home and search those things out uh, to your own uh, to your own benefit. Um, just kind of a just a little background for what we were doing. Uh, the author of Hebrews, and why we've come to First Timothy, the author of Hebrews cannot continue further in his discussion on the role of high priest and specifically comparing Jesus to Melchizedek. And so he, he pauses um, and he rebukes the Christians for their lack of advancement in the faith. Um, so let's read our text and, and we'll, we'll get on in this. Um, 1 Timothy 4 verse 13. He says, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine... Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given unto thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt save both thyself and them that hear thee. Let's pray. Father... I pray that you'd bless our time together this morning. Father, we thank you for your word that you have not hid yourself from us, but that you have given us the word to reveal yourself. Lord, we can certainly thank you for the gospel as you have provided the means of salvation um, in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray this morning that you would teach us your word. I pray that we would be motivated we would be prompted, that we would be encouraged to uh, dig deeper into your word than we may already do. God, I pray that you would grow us and mature us, help us to advance uh, in this matter of faith. We praise you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last week in mentioning that there was this twofold problem that contributes to spiritual immaturity... 
the first issue that we, we looked at lies solely at the feet of the pastor. Um, and I think there's a tendency within pastors to try to push the blame off onto the congregation and saying, well, you're just not doing what I'm telling you to do. And when the reality is that many pastors don't want to preach the deep things of God. Many pastors give people really what they want. And really and truly, if we're being honest, what most people want is an adult VBS-style church. That's what we generally want. We want to, and it's, it's, it's exampled this way. If you think about it, most parents, when their kids go to children's church, what's the first question that, that they'll ask their kids? Did you have fun? As though they went to some amusement park or something and not learning of the true and living God. And that's the same case with adults. That we come into the worship service, we get some songs that are, that are hyped up and get us all fired up, and then this preacher gets up and says, open your Bibles. And there's where the fun starts. Because we know, or stops, because we know when the Bible is open and God's Word is rightly explained, it's going to cause us to live differently than we already do. It's going to cause us to make changes in our life that are going to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. And so pastors don't give people what they, what they need. They give you what you want. I, I used to feel sorry for the, the people that would sit under the likes of Joel Osteen and T.D. Jakes and, and, uh, and Paula White and, dare I say, the, the, the Southern Baptist darling Beth Moore. I used to feel sorry for those people. But I don't because they're getting exactly what they want. They want the sugar-coated, simplistic stuff at best. And with, with, other, with, with that group, they're basically getting the prosperity gospel. Some it's a little bit more evident than others. The reality is, is that they're not getting what they need. And folks, love in the, in the Bible is an action word. It's not this, this emotional feeling that we get. And as your pastor, if I love you, I'm going to give you the full counsel of God. Why? Because it benefits you in your personal life. You hear me preach the word of God and, and you see me uh, live those things in my life, then it encourages you to apply those same principles to your life, what we really need is the unadulterated, guileless, and sufficient counsel of the true and living God. He's given us His Word. Why do we not want all of it? We've got a, a, uh, um, a, a smorgasbord of, of things to feast on from the Word of God. Man, we, And it's not like Piccadilly where we go through and pick what we want and leave out what we don't want. And we've got the full counsel of God. There's another reason, though, that, that pastors are not giving people what they need, and that's probably because they're too lazy to take a deep dive into the Scriptures. I heard a story of a pastor that um, every, on, sun, on Saturday evenings would go into his study. He'd get up from his chair and say, well, I guess I need to see what God has for his people tomorrow. Let me tell you, 8 o'clock on Saturday evening is not the, not the best time to start studying for Sunday morning. Now, there are times, I'll, I'll confess, that there are times on sun, Saturday evening or maybe all day Saturday that I'm, I'm getting my, my sermon finalized. There's even times early on Sunday morning that I have to get up and get everything finalized, but I'm not starting my studies on Saturday evening or Sunday morning. 
If you're starting studies on Saturday or Sunday, you're, you're lazy. You're, not gonna have, you're gonna have, not going to have a tendency to dig deep into the text. And this goes to show that um, we get busy as pastors. We get busy doing ministry stuff and therefore neglect the primary duty that we're called to. My primary responsibility as a pastor is to pray and study the Word of God. That, that's, we get that, in, as a matter of fact, turn to Acts chapter 6. Let me, let me show you exactly what I'm talking about. Now, this is not to say that there are other uh, things that come up in, in ministry that we are not to tend to, but this is the primary, this is the, the, the primary duty in the call of the, of the pastor. And the, the apostles made this known right away. In uh, Acts chapter 6, look at verse 1. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Now what was happening is these widows had needs and they were being neglected because there was no one to care for them. And who did they go to? They go to the pastors or the apostles. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, they're not saying that serving tables is beneath them. What they're saying is that is not what God has called us to do. He has called us to the ministry of the word, as we'll see in a moment. Now, notice verse 3. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. The purpose of deacons from early on, was to see to this daily ministration of the church. It was to see that these needs get met. It was to, 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 um, to discern uh, the, these needs. Now look what he says in verse 4. But we will give ourselves continually in prayer, or to prayer, and to the ministry of the Word. Now the primary duty of the pastor is to pray and study the Word. Why? so that we can convey the truths of God's Word to you to equip you for the work of ministry. Now, we've got to the point in our day where we, uh, we're giving these, these messages basically trying to build your self-esteem up. Folks, we don't need any more self-esteem. We need to see what the Word of God has to say about our obedience to Him. The truth is, if any pastor is going to give himself wholly to this great calling, he must make some personal sacrifices. There's some sacrifices that if I'm going to be able to communicate the truths of God's Word in a way that, that, that is right and good and beneficial to you, then there's going to be some sacrifices that I have to make. I'm not going to be able to lay out all day on Saturday watching basketball or football and then Saturday evening get up and say, let me see what the Lord has for His people tomorrow. I, there's going to be some sacrifices that have to be made. And the problem is that many don't want to make those sacrifices. What's been lost in a modern church is the pastor's primary role. That is to study and preach the word. We, we get, um, and look, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that's all I'm going to do. Because I realize that, that there is, are some things that pastors are equipped to handle that not everybody's equipped to handle. But it goes to show you the importance of this. And this was Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4 giving his his uh his young protege Timothy 
told him at the beginning of verse 4, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season, because there will be people who do not want to endure sound doctrine. This charge speaks to earnestly, diligently, and repeatedly bearing witness to the church the truths of God's word. Now, we'll see here in a moment that that's not just through verbal communication. That is through the practice and conversation of one's life every day. Now, look, this is no small calling. This is um, no small task, certainly. If pastors are not preaching the full counsel of God, then the hard doctrine will be difficult to understand. I go back to our text in Hebrews chapter 5. He said that uh, I've got many things to say about Melchizedek, but I can't because they're hard to explain due to your lack of understanding. In other words, due to or your dullness of hearing is what he says. And that was a laziness in obedience. A laziness in obedience. So, if, 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 again, it goes, there's two parts here. There's, there's the pastor, teacher, explaining the, the difficult doctrines of, of the Bible. And there's the, the willingness of the people who would hear that to not only hear it, but to go search the matter out themselves. By contrast, if you're not engaged in personal, devotional, in-depth study, then you will find these truths difficult to understand. And the purpose for searching these things out is so that you have them confirmed or affirmed through Scripture, through your own personal study of Scripture. And if there's a question that comes up, that you go to the the pastor and confront the pastor with, with, with with the text of Scripture. Look, it it will, this not giving yourself to personal study will likewise cause you to be an unfruitful Christian. We're disobedient because of a lack of, because of a lack of of knowledge. We're we're disobedient because of our our ignorance of the scripture. And, and part of that goes for, for me to have, take personal sacrifice to study the scripture. You therefore must take personal sacrifice to study the scripture. It not only will cause us to be an unfruitful Christian, but it will make you vulnerable to false doctrine that will lead you away from God. And make no mistake, that false doctrine always leads you away from God. The, the purpose for the pastor studying the depths of Scripture, mining the depths of Scripture, is not so that I can show off my knowledge and show off maybe that I'm a little bit more diligent or, or, or more of a go-getter than someone else. It's for your benefit. It's so that you can hear the Scripture. It's to help you advance in your faith. All the while I'm studying, I'm applying these truths to my life that you see me advancing in the faith as we'll see here in a moment. The reading, the exhortation, the, which is the exposition and application of God's truth and doctrine that we looked at last week are positive methods for exposing false teaching and neutralizing its impact. Look, we, we, we have a faith that has been delivered to the saints, as Jude, Jude talked, and we are to protect that. I, I, I've heard where the pastor should have two voices, one to feed the sheep and the other one to ward off, or one to warn the sheep and the other one to ward off the goats. Right, that when, when the pastor is being very clear about the biblical text, that those who in the church would desire to, to divide the church by false doctrine, they hear that warning and they either leave or they, can, they repent of their sin. 
Let me say again that false doctrine, false, false teaching will always lead you away from God. And if you look over to 1 Timothy 1, you see this very thing. 1 Timothy 1, verse 3 and verse 4. Matter of fact, this first Timothy, that, that, this first letter that Paul writes to Timothy, the very first thing he does is warn him against false teachers. Look what he says in verse 3. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. That they're teaching something that is contrary to the gospel. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Do you see the points we're getting to the details of Scripture? That it leads to godly edification. It leads to a holy life lived by the people of God, whereby we're to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. Anything that is not godly leads to ungodly. We see this evidenced in some other passages. As a matter of fact, um, look at uh, well, First Timothy chapter four, the the first part of this this chapter, verse one. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. That's a reality that we're faced with. Some will depart from the faith. They will depart from sound teaching. Why will they do that? Because they will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Folks, you don't, do you think that doctrine is important in the life of the church? Look at verse 2. Or verse, uh, two. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. It just gives this list of what false doctrine or false teaching looks like. And it does not lead you closer to God. Folks, the exposition and application of God's word in exhortation and teaching, preaching and teaching, along with the public reading of Scripture are what's called means of grace. The means of grace is God's appointed instruments by which the Holy Spirit enables believers to receive Christ and the benefit of redemption. See, salvation is not, man, I got my fire insurance. I'm going to escape hell. I'm good to go now. No, there's so much more to our faith than we realize. And God has given us means of grace to constantly remind us of that. He's given us preaching. He's given us His Word. He's given us what, what some call the sacraments or what we would call the Lord's Supper, the elements of the Lord's Supper. He's given us prayer. The reason I bring this to your attention in light of, in particular, concerning God's Word... Many see teaching and preaching as almost a necessary evil to endure in the church. Most of us see that as a necessary evil. They, they think, well, I, I just, I got to go to church and I got to hear that preacher again. Do, do we not understand the importance of the word of God in the life of the church? It governs everything that we do. It instructs us in our way of living. It instructs us in our, what we must believe it instructs us in how to conduct the business in the church. And the sad reality is that many realize the full ben- many fail to realize the full benefit of not only uh, of not being a doer of the word. They're just a hearer of the word. We're weak in faith because we are weak in the word and obedience. 
You want to know the best way to build your faith up, to strengthen your faith? Obey what God has said. We're weak in doctrine and knowing who God is because we are weak in the Word. Folks, we, we've, got, we've got the sword of the Spirit that cuts and divides. It heals. We must take advantage of that. This goes to something that I said last week that there was a, a member in a previous church commented to me, why, why do we need all this doctrine and theology stuff? I just want Jesus. Well, aside from the fact that that's a doctrinal statement in and of itself, it's, it's telling you or telling me what you believe about, first of all, the Scripture. is telling me what you believe about God and telling me what you believe about Jesus. But to that point, do you know doctrine, the word doctrine alone is mentioned 51 times in the Bible? One-third of that, or 16 times, it's mentioned in the three pastoral epistles. You think there might be something that God is communicating to, to the pastor, for one, the importance of having the doctrine straight? Paul further, going back to 1 Timothy 4, further instructs Timothy in the following verse. Look at verse 14. He says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. That word presbytery speaks to the pastors. It speaks to the elders of the church. So what he's saying is don't be careless with the gift of teaching that God has given you. Recognize that the, the, the gift of teaching that the pastor possesses is a gift from a sovereign God for the benefit of his church. And it's recognized by the elders. The prophecy here refers to the prophetic revelations or direction of the Holy Spirit by which persons were designated as deacons, pastors, and teachers in the early church. And for an example of that, turn to Acts chapter 13. At the end of Acts chapter 12, Paul and Barnabas had come back from a mission trip and now they're, uh, they're, they're in Cyprus. And in the first verse, there's, there's a, a list of, of ministers, um, prophets and teachers, um, including Saul and Barnabas. Uh, there's, there's Simeon, um, there's Lucius, and there's Menaean. Um, I don't remember the other two, but Menaean was a, a, a relative to Herod the Tetrarch. So within this body of elders, you see some diversity. You see a, a, someone who is, is of the royal line, and you see Paul or Saul, who was a tent maker, kind of a blue-collar worker, if you will. So we see this diversity, but notice verse 2. This is speaking of, of, of Saul and Barnabas. As they ministered to the Lord and and. and Fasted. Notice there's a couple things. Fasting is, is, is vital. But they're ministering. They're serving. They're worshiping. The Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. Now we know what, what Barnabas and Saul go on to do. In particular, Saul in, in his mission trips and then eventually goes to Rome and, and is beheaded there. Understand that Paul and, and Barnabas were leading the church in worship, in service, and devotion to God when the Holy Spirit says to them, separate me, 
Paul or Saul and Barnabas um, for the work that I've called them to. I want you to understand they were not idle. They were not sitting on the sidelines. They were worshiping in obedience. They were already doing some things in the church when God said, hey, those two right there, I want you to separate them for the work that I've called them to. I've had people ask me over the years, Brian, how did you know you wanted to be a pastor? And my response is the same every time. I didn't. I really and truly did not want to be a pastor. I saw some of the heartaches that some of, some of my pastors went through, and some of it was because of their own hard-headedness. I, I saw some of the frustrations and disappointments that they went through. I didn't want to have nothing to do with that. I, actually, my, I, I kind of had envisioned for me that my ministry in some way would maybe be like an itinerant ministry where I would get to go to various pr- uh, churches and preach. Or maybe even um, going to uh, a foreign country as a missionary. But what has happened and what I have seen God do, and I'm not saying this to bring attention to Brian. I'm, I'm trying to give you an example here of what Paul and Barnabas were going, Saul and Barnabas were going through. What, I've, what I have done and tried to do every church we've ever been in is be faithful and serve where I, was, where I had opportunity. I remember going to my pastor and saying, Pastor, I, I think God's dealing with me about preaching. And he said, okay, handed me a card. And he said, call this lady. I don't remember the name of the place, but it was a, an assisted living home. He said, they want someone. She's the activities director. They want someone to have a church service. I was like, well, yeah, that's an opportunity to preach. Let's do it. And so for, for, I think it was three years, we done that until we moved back to Louisiana. And every church we've been in, I, I've tried to serve where, where God gave uh, an open door. And it's led to, to this, right, being, a, being called to be a pastor. And it wasn't because I just woke up one day and said, hey, I want to be a pastor. It was because as I was serving, God helped me to see some things and see some deficiencies in the church. And I pray that through the preaching of God's word that he would, he would help those deficiencies in whatever church that I've been in. But they were not idle. They were constantly serving. Look, the point here being is that if God has genuinely called and gifted a man to pastor, then we must do it with all seriousness, seriousness and we cannot be careless. The next thing that Paul tells, if you go back to our text in 1 Tim, Timothy, he tells him to meditate on these things. We saw this in, our, in our, um, our passage this morning in Sunday school. He says to meditate upon these things and give yourself wholly to them that your profiting may appear to all. Now, the word meditate simply means to think about, to ponder how these truths relate to your life and how they apply to your life. And the tense that, that it shows is that it's continuous ongoing action. In other words, you don't just meditate upon it in the past or one time, but that it's constantly before your mind, that the, your mind is full of the Scripture and you're constantly thinking of how these things apply to your life. In other words, it's something that must always be done. He's telling Timothy, you do this. You give yourself to it. You're constantly doing it. Now, the word meditate, we just saw, I said Sunday school, but we just saw it in Psalm 1, where the righteous meditate on the Lord's instructions as to how they can obey it, and then in Psalm 2, the unrighteous or the evil as to how they may disobey it. See, the pastor must first examine his own life and apply these truths to himself first before instructing others. My prayer when I sit down to begin my studies for the week to prepare a sermon is usually the same. God, give me understanding. 
give me wisdom. Help me to apply this to my life first. Woe is the man who follows not his own instruction. Right? What good does it do to me to preach one thing and do the complete opposite? This must always be in the mind and the heart of the pastor. And I really believe that when Paul was giving the, the qualifications for a pastor, when he said apt to teach, that this is what he had in mind. That the ability to teach springs from constantly having the scripture in your mind. And, and that no matter what the situation may be, that when on command you can teach the scripture. I don't believe it stems from uh, studying to put a sermon together. And, and really and truly, uh, some of my best teaching moments have been in one-on-one -on -one conversations. And it's been the culmination of, of all my studies over the, last, uh, over the last several years. We go to verse 15. What's the, what's the purpose for this? What's the purpose for constantly having the Word of God in the mind of the pastor? Notice what he says. So that others may see your advancement in the faith. So that others may see your profiting. This word profiting means to beat or drive forward as if with repeated strokes. You may think of a swimmer who is not treading water and being stationary, but that with each stroke, he is moving forward towards a goal in mind. That's the case with the pastor. We get a picture of this in the life of Jesus. You don't have to turn there. I will mention this. Luke chapter 2, verse 52, where it says that Jesus increased in stature with both God and man. We get a picture of Jesus' humanity as he was a well-rounded personal develop in his personal development as a human, intellectual, social, and spiritual. Look, the point being there is continued growth that is evident in the church. That my spiritual growth ought to be evident to you that watch me and hear me week to week. Or maybe if you see me day by day. The pastor then should be setting the example in these areas so as to encourage the church to do the same. As you see the pastor apply the word to his life, it ought to motivate you to a degree that you live your life and apply those truths as well. If I'm constantly harping about spiritual growth to you and I never display any advancement in the faith, we're going to have a church full of immature Christians led by an immature pastor. In other words, we're going to have a, a, preschool, a, a preschooler leading preschoolers or an infant leading infant, infants. It would boil down to the blind leading the blind, and we know they both end up in the ditch. Paul speaks of this advancement in Galatians 1.14 in regards to his former religion. He said, man, there was nobody as zealous as I was. And he advanced to the point that he was persecuting Christians. And you know the same zealousness that Paul met that false religion? He, uh, uh, he was a laborer for God. The studies of the pastor should be on display in his life as well as in the pulpit. The culmination of my studies in each week are kind of... Uh, summed up in the sermon that I bring to you on Sunday morning, but more than that, they ought to be on display in my life as I live my life before you. Paul told Timothy in verse 12 of 1 Timothy 4 to be an example. Be an example. Even though you're young, Timothy, be an example to the believers. Notice it is progress, not arrival. 
If, if you think that any pastor that would come before you has got to a point that he's arrived in his spiritual life and his spiritual walk and knowledge, you're sadly mistaken. He says you're profiting, that, that this is progress, not a rival. That this is a continued, ongoing process in the life of the pastor. There's a clear command that we see in Matthew 6, 1, that we are not to perform good works for the sake of gathering attention and admiration of others. That is to say that my advancement in the faith, while it is on display for you to see, is not for your admiration and attention in the sense of to pat me on the back. It is to encourage you to advance in the faith as well. Christ's reputation and the believer's spiritual growth are enhanced when growing maturity can be seen in the church as leaders and members. Christ's reputation is is enhanced. Our spiritual growth is enhanced when it is evident in the life of the church. Paul's final instruction, if you'll look down in verse 16, and you've you've got an outline in this... In the, in the bulletin that I haven't exactly kept to it, but there's some things that I, I, I gave that outline, some things that I wanted you to, to think about uh, through this sermon that, that you know, the don't be careless. And the, the application for your life is don't be careless in how you live as a Christian. Ponder God's truths. And then we see that a holy life has evidence to all. As my life is on evidence before you and the community around us, so your life is on display as well. So he says in verse 16, Take heed unto thyself. Pay attention to yourself, Timothy. Constantly examine yourself, Timothy, to see if you are in the faith. Constantly take spiritual inventory of yourself, Timothy, to see if you are advancing in the faith. He says, Take heed unto thyself and to the doctrine There's that word again, the doctrine. Take heed. Listen to the doctrine. Listen to what you're teaching. Don't just take heed to it. Don't just listen to it. Don't just pay attention to it. But continue in them. Basically, you're absorbed in them. You live in them. What is the purpose of this? Notice what he says. For in doing this, thou shalt save both thyself and them that hear thee. Now, at first glance, it would seem the apostle is preaching salvation by works. But that would be a contradiction to what he has said in previous epistles. As a matter of fact, this was his point for writing the book of Galatians. Paul had previously visited the Galatians twice before writing this letter. And during his absence, these teachers from Palestine called Judaizers came in and insisted that these Galatian believers could not be true Christians until they submitted to the Jewish ordinance of circumcision. Now, in a, I think it's um, Acts 15, uh, the Jerusalem council was, was had because of this. They, well, these, these Gentiles were coming in and, and these Jews were saying, hey, you've got to be circumcised, you've got to follow this law. And so they go to the church in Jerusalem um, to, to have this uh, this counsel to see if they needed to do these things and basically it come out that no they don't have to follow these laws and you had these judaizers who were going to galatia and preaching that you have to be circumcised or that you have to adhere to the law of moses 
And oddly enough, these naive Galatians whom Paul had preached grace to excitedly accepted their teaching just as they had enthusiastically received Paul's teaching. And so Paul writes Galatians to combat this heresy. I say that to show you that Paul is not teaching salvation by works. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 contradict this idea of salvation by works. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, it being faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Folks, we need to make sure that we understand that salvation is through the gift, is by the grace of a sovereign Lord through faith so that you cannot say, I did it. Look, when grace is rightly understood, it humbles us. Well, when grace is rightly understood, it causes us to praise God even more. Matter of fact, the language of Ephesians 2.9 leaves no room for taking credit for what God has done. Not by works. This is talking about uh, conformity to the law. Not works that are springing from faith. And Paul in Galatians 3 says that the law was a schoolmaster. It was a tutor. It was a teacher to show us that we cannot keep the law. And therefore, it points us to Jesus Christ who perfectly obeyed the law. If it were by works, what Ephesians is saying, if it were by works, then we could glory in ourselves. And the word boast means to, to, to uh, brag about something that you did do, right? Or that you could do. And folks, the reality is if that we could keep the law, then we could not glory in Christ. We would glory in our own ability. So what's the implications from this? From a pastoral standpoint, it is my duty to convey to you the information from God's Word through not only my verbal communication, but through my life as well. What the Bible would call our conversation. That is our manner of living. As you see me interact here and, and what, through whatever other means, is that you're seeing the fruit of my studies live through my life, not just heard in the preaching. So therefore, if the problem is twofold, I've just explained to you in further detail, the problem of the pastor or the pastoral problem, then there's a responsibility that you have. Now, while I must fulfill my role in aiding your spiritual growth, you must not neglect what is required of you. And that is to be a good Berean. In Acts 17, 11, uh, they received the word with all readiness of mind and they searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. But folks, that study, that, that receiving the word with a readiness of mind is to give the word an open hearing. And that study must be met with prayer. It, it must be met with humility. It, it must be met with a desire to know God and know Him more fully so that we can obey Him and that our faith would increase. James said, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Folks, our approach to Scripture ought to be, God, give me understanding. Give me wisdom. Help me to see your truth and help me to apply them to, our, to my life. And we know that God is a, is a rewarder for those who diligently seek Him. God would do just that. 
And it would make it, it would see if those if those Hebrew Christians had been doing just that, the author of Hebrews would not have to would not would have had to stop and make this rebuke or give this rebuke. I'm sorry, he would not have had to stop his exposition of the high priestly role of Jesus compared to Melchizedek and rebuke these Christians for their immaturity. That they would have been able to receive this hard thing to explain. Revelation 1.3, we read Wednesday night, said, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. Folks, understand the word is as relevant for us today as it was when it was put together. It is as relevant for us today as it was when God, through his Holy Spirit, inspired these men to write his word. Therefore, we have this more sure word of prophecy that leads us closer to God and when we obey it, will strengthen our faith in God. Let's pray.